0: Welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Justin Miller. I am a social psychologist and research fellow at the Kinsey Institute and author of the book, Tell Me What You Want, The Science of Sexual Desire and How It Can Help You Improve Your Sex Life. Survey studies based on representative samples find that about one in five North American adults say they've been in some type of sexually open relationship before. As a reference point, that's approximately the same number of people who would be classified as cat owners. You probably know quite a few people who own cats, so odds are you probably know quite a few people in open relationships. The difference, of course, is that cat owners tend to be very public about their love of cats. Case in point, my cat has her own Instagram page. However, people in open relationships tend to keep this information secret because it has long been stigmatized. That stigma doesn't just prevent a lot of people in open relationships from coming out, but it also prevents a lot of people from even considering the idea. Things are changing though. People are starting to become more open about their openness, such as celebrity couple Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith, who recently revealed that their decades-long marriage is open. So if you're thinking about opening up, what do you need to know? How do you create your ideal relationship agreement? And what kinds of issues are likely to come up and how do you address them? To explore these questions, I'm speaking today with Dr. Tammy Nelson a licensed psychotherapist and certified sexologist, sex therapist, and relationship therapist. She is host of the Trouble with Sex podcast and executive director of the Integrative Sex Therapy Institute. Tammy is also the author of several books, with her latest being Open Monogamy, a guide to co-creating your ideal relationship agreement. I can't wait for this conversation. Before we dive in, get off the couch and back into the bedroom. Blue Chew can give you the confidence you need. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis in chewable tablets at a fraction of the cost. Simply sign up at bluechew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once approved, you'll receive your prescription in days discreetly shipped direct to your door. No doctor's visit and no pharmacy waiting line. As I've said on this show many times before, there's nothing sexier than confidence, and Blue Chew can help give you confidence where it counts. So if you could benefit from extra confidence when it's time to perform, BlueChew can help. As a special deal for listeners, you can try BlueChew free when you use promo code psych, P-S-Y-C-H, at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's BlueChew.com, promo code PSYCH to receive your first month free. Visit BlueChew.com for more details and important safety information, and thanks to BlueChew for sponsoring this podcast. Hi, Tammy, and welcome to the Sex and Psychology podcast.
1: Hi, Justin. Thanks so much for having me. I can't wait to talk to you about this.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining me. It is a pleasure to have you here. So to kick off our conversation, I'd like to begin by asking you to tell us a little bit about your professional backstory. So specifically, how did you come to be a sex and relationship therapist? What drew you to this area in the first place?
1: Well, you know, I think I've been a therapist since I was a little kid when everyone in the neighborhood would come over to my house and sit in a circle on my front lawn and tell me all (laughs) their problems. And, you know, I think I've been doing it forever. And definitely I went into therapy to heal my own dysfunctional family issues. And I really have always been fascinated by people's relationships. I think that relationships are everything, and I always have. What I never understood is through my graduate training, postgraduate training, all my compulse certifications and letters after my name, trying, by the way, to prove to my mother that I was legit. She's dead, by the way. <laughs> Just as an aside, still trying to prove to her that I'm good enough. So even though I was in like these couples therapy trainings, postgraduate trainings on how to have a great relationship, licensure exams, no one ever talked about sex. And I was always intrigued by that, which is why I pursued getting my PhD in sexology, and started this whole institute in training therapists how to make sure that they helped couples with how to have a great sex life.
0: It makes total sense to me. And, you know, I was kind of partially inspired to enter the field for the same reason in the sense that, you know, I realized nobody's talking about sex, but it's really important. And we need more people who are out there studying it, talking about it, bringing attention to it so that we can get education that we deserve. I think it's also interesting you mentioned that, you know, at a young age, people were coming and talking to you and confiding in you and wanting you to fix their problems. You know, I kind of had a similar experience when I was younger. You know, I think some people just seem to be easy to talk to and they just sort of open up to you. And I think that that actually pushes some of us in the direction of psychology because we're just kind of used to that experience of people opening up to us in a lot of ways. So your latest book is titled Open Monogamy. Now, this name might strike some people as an oxymoron, given that being open and being monogamous would seem on the surface to be kind of contradictory. So what do you mean when you use the term open monogamy?
1: So open monogamy means that you have a primary or central partner or a marriage or some kind of committed partnership, but that your agreement is Flexible and fluid, and you can make it anything you want, starting with an open conversation about it. So it really is a reflection of our times where, you know, monogamy used to be synonymous with morality. And today, I think monogamy is more about transparency and honesty and integrity. You know, this is not your grandmother's monogamy. Like people define their relationships in ways that work for them. And I think we need conversations and dialogue so that people can have a way to define their monogamy in ways that work for them as a couple, not how the church tells them or how their temple tells them or how society tells them, but what works for the two of them. And that's what I wanted to help people with.
0: So the open in open monogamy is more about honesty and transparency, but it can also refer to some degree of sexual openness or romantic openness. And I think as you lay out in your book, it runs this pretty wide spectrum, right? So on one end, it could just be partners talking about and sharing their fantasies and desires with each other. And that's sort of the extent of their openness, right? There's nobody else coming into their relationship that they're engaging with sexually, emotionally, or romantically, but it runs this whole spectrum to, you know, polyamory at the other end where people might be very open and having sexual and romantic relationships with multiple other people. So I like this term open monogamy in that it's very flexible. It takes a lot of different meanings, but it's really fundamentally about being open and honest with your partner and helping people to, sort of create the the right designer relationship for them, something that works for them as a couple. Now, monogamy has long been the default approach relationships, but it's something that has kind of always been a struggle. I mean, if you look at the history of infidelity, you'll see that it's definitely not a new thing, right? It's kind of always been there, but it does seem to be harder than ever to maintain a monogamous lifelong marriage, which I think is part of the reason why divorce has become so common and also why a lot of people are ditching marriage altogether just because it seems really hard to do. So why do you think monogamy is so challenging? Challenging. And why is it more challenging than ever these days?
1: Well, I think for a couple of reasons. One, we live longer than ever. You know, when we were married for 20 years or so, and then we, you know, died, by the time we got bored, we were dead. So that was easier. And now I also think that perhaps after several generations of people getting divorced, these high rates of infidelity, maybe the whole like nuclear family thing, the whole experiment of the nuclear family, you know, two parents and a couple kids, maybe that's just not working anymore. And maybe that's because women are in the workforce and we just don't have the same layout financially and sociologically that we did when this whole nuclear family idea was successful. Like maybe we need to outsource more of our needs, maybe sexually, maybe financially, maybe sociologically, like maybe we just do need a village. We need more people. I think we really learned that during the pandemic, you know, that that you can't really just live with one other person. Maybe that just makes you insane. We've also learned, maybe because of people like you and I, people do a good therapy, that you really can't change your partner. And instead of trading them in for somebody else and trying to trade up and start over, Maybe instead of changing your partner, you could change your agreement and you can have several marriages within the lifetime of your marriage and you could grow together and have different experiences instead of always looking for like the next Mr. or Mrs. or Ms. Wright.
0: Yeah. And I think there's a lot of truth to everything you just said. You know, certainly the fact that we're living longer is a big part of it. You know, the idea now that some people might be in relationships that could last 50, 60 years or longer, right? That's a really long time to be with one person, to keep it interesting and novel and exciting. You know, it's it's very different from when people only lived a couple of decades, but there have been so many other changes that have happened at the same time. You know, if you look at changes in societal attitudes toward sex and sex outside of marriage and divorce and so forth, you know, it's become more acceptable for people to not sort of, Try to fit themselves into just one specific relationship structure and and assume that it's going to work for everybody. But I think it also ties in with something I talked about on my podcast with Eli Finkel a while back, where he wrote this book called The All or Nothing Marriage. And he sort of framed marriage in terms of Maslow's hierarchy of needs and talked about how, you know, early on, our marriages were often about, you know, meeting those basic survival needs, you know, and it was about putting food on the table, making sure you had shelter and doing these. Very basic sorts of tasks. And now that we've got that stuff pretty well under control, we can focus more on the needs at the top and the self-actualization and what is it that we really want out of life. And I think that's where a lot of this comes in because our relationships now are trying to meet very different sets of needs. So I think there's just a lot of different factors that are at play here that make monogamy more challenging in the modern world than it was before. Now, while monogamy has been the dominant relationship model for much of recent human history, in a lot of ways, being in a sexually open relationship now seems to be kind of in vogue. We're increasingly seeing it represented in the popular media and internet searches for it are on the rise, but it's not for everyone, right? So I think before we talk about how to navigate open relationships, we need to step back and ask for whom does having an open relationship work? So Tammy, how do you know if it's right for you and right for the relationship that you're in?
1: I think we have to look at open relationships in comparison to having an affair. So I'm always amazed that people are willing to have an affair and risk burning down the whole house instead of maybe having a conversation with their partner about opening the relationship because it's it's too scary to have a conversation that could create conflict. You know, they don't want to like spark spark conflict, but they could burn the whole house down by cheating. I mean, there's like 75 billion members on Ashley Madison worldwide right now, 75 million. So we know that there's a lot of people out there who want some kind of non-monogamy. They're just not doing it consensually. And they just released this study actually recently, just in January, 2022. And they asked, if you could have an open relationship, would you do it? And 72% said that they wanted to introduce some kind of a consensual non-monogamy, but they didn't know how to start the conversation. And they didn't know how to ask. and They were afraid of what their partner would say. <laughs> and interestingly, of the people that are in open relationships that answered their survey, 82% of women in open relationships said that they were very fulfilled. and. I think we have to go back to what you were saying before about how marriage has changed and that marriage and monogamy today is totally optional. Women don't have to get married to have a kid. We don't have to get married to have passed down property or get a mortgage or get life insurance. Like we don't have to get married anymore. And there is no precedent for this in history. It's the first time that marriage has been optional for women. And when marriage is optional now for men and women and, and for gay couples. And I mean, it's pretty much a choice when it's optional and it's a choice, then we do it because we want to do it, not because we have to do it. And when we do it, cause we want to do it, we can do it any way we want. And so really the crux of the matter is, well, then how do you do it? How do you have that conversation? How do you bring up what you really want? First, it's figuring out what you do really want and what your question is like, how do you know what you really want? How do you know if you're one of those people that maybe want something a little bit different? And the other side of that question is, how do you know if you have the conversation that you're not gonna burn down the whole
0: house? I think you said a lot of important things there. I I really like your framing about how, you know, people often find it easier to cheat than to have that discussion with their partner about opening up. And it reminds me of this line I have in my book, tell me what you want, where I say, you know, a lot of people find it easier to have sex than to talk about sex. You know, it's, we do all of these things without talking about them. And it's just kind of weird, right? And with something like infidelity, there is, as you point out, this huge risk associated with it. So why are we willing to take that huge risk instead of just be a little bit vulnerable with our partner and tell them what it is that we actually want. And, you know, you also make a great point that marriage is optional. You know, it used to be a requirement in a lot of ways, right? Because there was all this social pressure. And if, for example, you were an unmarried woman, you know, there was that term spinster that was often used and it was this very socially denigrated category of women and and so there was all of this social pressure to do it and all of these economic benefits that came along with it but now the world has totally changed in a lot of ways now certainly there's a lot of cross-cultural variability but it all goes back to this idea that marriage today is totally different than what it was in the past but i want to talk a little bit more about kind of how do you know that it might be a good idea for you to open up your relationship, and and when is it a bad idea to open up your relationship? You talk about a few examples of this in your book, so maybe what are some good reasons to think about opening up, and maybe some not so good reasons to think about it.
1: Well, I can tell you, it's never a good reason to open your relationship because you're trying to continue your affair. That's like trying to get permission from your partner because you're cheating and you just want to. Continue that non consensual, non monogamy, but you know, with your partner's consent. And that's, that feels really like parental to me. Like, come on, mom, is it okay if I keep having this girlfriend or this boyfriend or whatever? That never works, I could tell you. And that's not to say that you don't want to open your relationship to continue a relationship because you want it to be honest. That's possible. But if you are in a relationship that you feel is really working, And there's just so much love and connection and communication that you feel like there's enough to go around, then that's a good sign that he might be ready to open your relationship and it might be a good time to have that conversation. I think people who have a really solid foundation and they have what I call like the true north conversation, like no matter what, our relationship is going to come first or, or honesty or integrity or communication, like they pick something. That's a shared value that no matter what, they're always going to come back to. And those are the people that usually can really make it work because they don't go flailing around in the open relationship ocean. You know, they always have that raft to come back to. And then that makes you feel more secure and tight as a couple.
0: You know, it's funny, I talk about this a lot. I've talked about this in books and in presentations about how it's generally not a good idea to try and open up a failing relationship in order to try and save it. And it's better to approach this from a position of strength when you've already got that trust and intimacy and communication. And a lot of people look at me and say, well, if you've already got all that good stuff, why do you need to open up? (laughs) And, you know, and I think something that is important for people to recognize is that you can have that really strong emotional bond with your partner but you might not have that level of sexual fulfillment that you desire and so maybe it's about adding some other element to the relationship. But I think having that really strong emotional bond and, and really good communication with your partner is so important because if the relationship's in a really bad place and you don't have the communication, opening up is probably just going to further erode that communication and probably isn't going to go too well. And something else that you talk about in your book is it's not a good idea to open up if you feel like your partner is coercing you into this, like if it's not something you really want to do, and your partner is trying to get you to go there, that's that's a no-go and then also if you're doing it out of fear you know you talk in your book about fear-based monogamy right where people are afraid to do anything other than monogamy and so they sort of feel trapped in that relationship but i think there can also be fear-based non-monogamy right where you're just kind of going along with whatever it is that your partner wants because you're afraid of of losing them. And I think when you're, when you're motivated out of fear, that's going to make it so much less likely that you're going to get what you want. So I think you really need to make sure you're approaching this for the right reasons and make sure that relationship is in a good place.
1: Yeah, I think that's 100% correct. And I'm glad you brought that up. I think one of the conversations that can start off the open relationship Potential is to have what I call a what if conversation. So what if we were to do this? what would be the the potential problems and what would be the potential benefit to our relationship? So could it could there be positives and what are the problems? And you talk about the positives and problems of everything and maybe you never get past the what if conversation because talking about it could just be fun and sexy for the rest of your life, but you never take anything into action. like there's things that you're curious about things you have fantasies about and things that you actually act on. And maybe just talking about like, what if we went to a sex club and walked around or what if we had a threesome or what? Like you could probably go on that forever without ever ever doing anything. And the energy, the erotic energy that brings into your relationship could be great. There's a lot of things on that monogamy continuum that might be just fine for a lot of couples without the fear of ever being with other people.
0: Yeah. And I love your suggestion about the what if conversations. And I should mention that in your book, you've got lots of, you know, sort of worksheets and exercises, things that couples can go through. And the what if part I think is particularly valuable because before you jump into anything, you know, you actually have that chance to sit there and each of you can think about, well, what if we did this? what's going to happen? What's the potential good things? What are the potential complications that might arise? And then you can compare your thoughts on it because maybe your partner is going to see this from a totally different perspective and anticipate something very different from you. And I think that's often very true, especially in the case of something like a threesome, right? So I've studied threesome fantasies a lot. And what I find is that when people fantasize about threesomes, they often envision that scenario going in very different directions. (laughs) You know, oftentimes, both partners in their own threesome fantasy want to be the center of attention. But You know, when it comes to actually having the threesome, if you both want to be the center of attention, how are you going to make that work if you don't talk about it in advance, right? So you've got to communicate and maybe take turns and maybe one threesome is maybe more about your partner and maybe another threesome is maybe a little bit more about you. But if you don't have that conversation in advance, you're never going to know never going to think about these things. Now, something else that you talk a lot about in your book is the role of empathy in sort of navigating open monogamy. And when we're talking about empathy, that doesn't necessarily mean that you have the same feelings, fantasies, and desires as your partner, but rather simply that you have the capacity and desire to understand your partner's feelings and fantasies. So can you talk a little bit more about why empathy is so important in open relationships and also Whether there are any ways that people who perhaps struggle with empathy a little bit can maybe learn to become more empathetic?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, sexual empathy means that you would be able to listen to your partner's fantasies and not necessarily agree with them or ever promise to act them out. Or they may not be your fantasies. Maybe they don't turn you on at all, but you'd be able to go to their side of the bridge and go, oh, I get this is hot for you. It may not be hot for me and I may never have to commit to it at all, but I get that for you, this makes sense. And if it doesn't make sense to me, then I probably need more information. So tell me more about why this turns you on. Tell me more about why this is sexy for you. And empathy means I want to know more. I want to hear more. I want to know more about like the internal workings of your brain and what, What's going on there? Because sometimes the way we communicate fantasies can be can be confusing or even painful. Like I would suggest not set, starting off with uh, "I want to sleep with our neighbor Julie." <laughs> you know, maybe say,
0: <laughs> yeah, probably not a good idea." <laughs>
1: not a good way to start. But maybe saying, "You know, I'd like to maybe introduce another woman to our relationship eventually," and because you know, be. Thinking about it makes me feel, and that's an easier way for your partner to have empathy than maybe picking out a specific friend, which could be risky
0: yeah and so i think you know when you're talking about this empathy and maybe for people who struggle with this a little bit is to to think about it in terms of you're really trying to understand your partner and where they're coming from and what their erotic interests really mean or 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 signify and i think when it comes to sharing something like fantasies when your partner tells you something your brain often goes in one direction you know my partner often likes to talk about this is you know everybody has their own ladders of inference and so when you hear one thing your brain just sort of follows one ladder it goes off in this direction but maybe for you it's going off in a totally different direction it's taking a different ladder right so that can be sort of a useful way of of thinking about this is that maybe your perspective initially doesn't reflect what it is that your partner was actually thinking so it's just kind of making that effort to really try and understand them a bit more and to the extent that you gather that additional information then it might help you to to better frame that and feel more comfortable with it so let's say you're interested in opening up your relationship right so saying you know hey i want to sleep with julie or jack or whoever you know (laughs) not a good idea (laughs) but you know what are some other ways that people can sort of approach this subject? And is there anything else they need to do in advance before they sort of put this idea of non-monogamy out there in order to just sort of make it a safer place to disclose and share these fantasies and desires that they might have?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. Even just saying, I want an open relationship, people are going to interpret that differently. So We all have our implicit assumptions about what that means. If you say to me, I want to open our relationship, I might think, oh, you want to be polyamorous and bring someone else into our home and have them move in with us. And we're all going to sit around the kitchen table the next morning with our kids and, you know, start a farm. And you might think, no, I just thought we would watch porn together. You know, like (laughs) it could be a big inference there. So part of the conversation I think can start with you know, hey, I listened to this cool podcast and this is what it brought up for me. I was wondering like, God, could we ever do anything like that? And maybe differentiating what the red lines are versus the boundaries. I, I don't like the word rules. I think rules rules implies that, that the relationship is kind of parentified. And now I have to chase you around to see if you broke the rules and then I have to punish you. And then I mean that kind of takes all the fun out of it. Plus rules are meant to be broken. But I think you could talk about your red lines like this. Absolutely. I could never do like I could never have it be someone at work that we get involved with or I could never, ever imagine, you know, bringing someone home to our bed or, you know, really thinking about what your extreme boundaries are and then talking about the things that might be a little more flexible. My boundaries are my boundaries. I can't tell you what your boundaries are. I can't tell you what you should be doing or not doing, but I can tell you what feels comfortable for me. And that might change over time. And I think those are the good conversations to start with because it it opens up a world of possibility
0: it does for sure and you know something else that might be helpful for some people is maybe to think about it as as kind of a progression where you just sort of gradually start introducing new things sexually into your relationship that don't have anything to do with bringing other people in just yet but you're just sort of sharing fantasies learning about each other's erotic selves introducing novelty and deriving all of the benefits from that and then as you've built up that trust and that communication uh you can ad- advance to the things that might be a little bit more complicated uh, such as you know bringing other people into bed or opening up your relationship in some way now we have much more to discuss including what to think about when establishing a non-monogamy agreement and potential issues that might arise when opening up and how to deal with them but first a quick break for a word from our sponsors The Modern Sex Therapy Institutes provides continuing education, certifications, and a PhD in sexology to mental health and medical professionals across the globe. MSTi is a one-stop shop for ASEC sex therapy certification requirements, including education, sexual attitude reassessment, and supervision. MSTi offers flexible payment plans and learning options. Attend from anywhere in the world and learn from experts on sex and relationships. For more information on their programs and offerings, visit modernsextherapyinstitutes.com. That's modernsextherapyinstitutes.com. Want to last longer in bed? Our friends at Permesin can help. Check out their signature delay spray, which has been clinically shown to help men last longer in bed. You can customize it for your own body and desensitize only the areas you want. Use it alone or in combination with other techniques for faster, more reliable results. Check it out and see why it has thousands of five star reviews and is physician recommended. Permescent offers a 60 day money back guarantee on all orders, free shipping on orders over $10, and discreet shipping to guarantee privacy. Learn more and place an order at permescent.com, where you'll also find an extensive selection of lubricants, supplements, condoms, and more. That's P R O M E S C E N T.com. And we're back. So we were just talking about how to start the conversation about opening up. Now, let's say that you have that conversation and your partner is just not on board. You know, it's a no-go for them. So now that you've kind of opened that can of worms, how do you resolve it? You know, what do you do when partners don't agree on opening up?
1: Well, I call that the monogamy gap. I think most people have somewhat of a gap in what they want or fantasize about how monogamy works. Like, We have an explicit discussion. You know, I promise not to sleep with anyone or I promise to love you till I die or whatever. But we have a lot of implicit assumptions about what that means. You know, what's secret and what's private? Do I tell you every time I masturbate in the shower? Do I tell you every time I look at porn? Do I tell you every time I flirt with a coworker? Do I tell you every time I, I click with a little heart on someone's Instagram page? Do I tell you when I send a picture of myself to someone on TikTok or, you know, there's a lot of implicit assumptions that go along with what is a closed or traditional monogamy agreement. And so I think you can have those conversations at any point in your relationship and those conversations are going to change too. And I think all of that is part of a quote unquote open relationship, even starting off with like, so if there was, if we had a free pass if we happen to meet like a really famous movie star and we gave each other like one free night out who would you pick if it if you know it was going to be your free night out and that can start a conversation that might be risky but but just fun to talk about if you're talking about like how do you shut down a conversation that you've brought up in that Ashley Madison study that people that were already in open relationships 78% across the board of those that were already in an open relationship said they were very fulfilled compared to 28% who were in closed relationships did not say they were very fulfilled. So I think it's also directly proportionate to where you are in your life. Like if you ask your partner for an open relationship and you've just had a baby, it's most likely they're going to shut it down. If you're in your second adolescence and all your kids have moved out, it's more likely that the conversation will be open. So what I'm saying is timing is everything. You might want to think about that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it absolutely is. Timing is everything whenever you're having a sexual conversation. And, you know, even if you're looking at, you know, a very specific period in time, just like the time of day that you choose to have this conversation can also matter a lot as well. Because yes, ideally, when you're talking about sex related issues, you want both of you to be kind of relaxed and in the mood and, uh, you know, not so easily turned off. So yes, timing is super important on all of this. And you know, if you find that your partner just isn't on the same page, they don't want to open up, as we said earlier, don't coerce them, don't try to force them to do something that they don't want to do. But what you have to do is figure out some way to bridge that monogamy gap in a way that is mutually acceptable. And so maybe that's bringing more porn into the relationship, or maybe it's sharing more of your fantasies and using that as a form of dirty talk or getting some fun sex toys. You know, there's all kinds of ways that you can add novelty Where you don't necessarily have to open things up you know this could also be virtual reality porn you know but again it's going to depend on what the partner's red lines are and in some cases partners just might be really far apart in this gap and not be able to bridge it and they're going to have to come to the conclusion of you know is it worth staying in this relationship and which needs are really important to me and how do i meet them and Something I've learned is that, you know, when I was in graduate school, I I was kind of taught this idea that like every relationship can potentially be saved, you can work out any problem. And, you know, what I've come to realize is that, you know, maybe not every relationship can work. (laughs) And so it's always about, you know, on balance, is this the right relationship for you? And maybe, you know, in some cases, it's just not the right relationship, and it might be time to move on. Now, let's say that your partner has a positive reaction, right? So you propose opening up, they're on board. Now you're going to need to figure out what the structure for your relationship is going to be and what the boundaries are. So what are some of the key ingredients in an open relationship agreement that people need to consider? What should they be talking about, Tammy?
1: Well, first, I just want to acknowledge what you're saying about timing, because I think there is... There's something that happens that I call communication fatigue, where you talk about this over and over and all the time, and you're just beating the dead horse, and it's 11 p.m. and 12 p.m. and 1 a.m. and 2 a.m. people are still talking about it, and you've talked it to death, and nothing has happened, and you haven't gone out with anyone, and nothing has changed, and you're now you're just past anxiety and into exhaustion, and that's not necessarily a sign that you need to break up. It's a sign that you need to take a break. And so I want to warn people if you get into that, that's also very common around opening your relationship conversations. And it can, it can happen when you start to talk about boundaries and, and what you want to do and what you don't want to do. Have short conversations, make appointments with each other to have the conversations. Do it at a time, like you said, that feels, feels right for both of you. So in other words, a Friday night, let's go on a date and let's talk about this open relationship thing. And let's have a boundary conversation. Or there's exercises in my book where you can answer monogamy, open monogamy questions. As you discuss your answers together, how close are we in this monogamy gap? And what are the things that we want to try? Do we want to just watch porn together and talk about our fantasies? Do we want to Each go out and have lunch with people that we're interested in, but never really have sex with anyone? Do we want to have flirty relationships with other people on text? Do we want to actually have sex with other people, but only do it when we're together? Do we, you know, do we want to actually start dating other people? Like there's a whole wide range of things to do here that I think talking about the monogamy continuum could be the beginning. Like, where on this continuum are we comfortable? And knowing at any time, that you could bring it back. So also talking about, should we have veto power where we can throw the veto down at any time by saying, you know what, I'm not comfortable with this person or this activity. And can we please stop?
0: Yeah. And I think that's all great advice. And, you know, one more thing to add to the, timing piece yes you are absolutely right that sometimes these conversations take a long time and you're going to have multiple small conversations before you get to the point of actually opening up in some way and so before you abandon ship and think that this relationship isn't right for you give it time and if you're the partner who's on the receiving end of this information and your partner wants to open up but you're not sure about it take some time to think about it because sometimes part of the reason why we're uncomfortable with a fantasy that a partner has shared with us is that we've just never really contemplated it ourselves before and thought about what could this look like? How could it go? Are there things in it that might potentially work for me? And that's not to say that you have to find some way to, you know, come to terms with it and and do it. Again, it's all about consent and and doing what is right for you, but sometimes giving it some time to think about it, collecting more information from your partner, reading books like Tammy's Open Monogamy or The Ethical Slut or some of these other amazing books that are out there can help you to realize the different possibilities and options because there isn't just one way to open up. And I think you bring up a lot of important things to consider when you're making your relationship agreement. And I think it's also worth recognizing that Gosh, you know, you might not be able to anticipate every possibility <laughs> in the very beginning, right? So when you're starting to think about rules like, all right, we're we're both gonna have sex with other people, but maybe you won't go the next step to think about, okay, what is that actually gonna look like in reality? So when are we able to see other people and you know do we need dedicated days in the calendar where we can you know kind of go out on on dates with others or like there can be a lot of logistical issues to to sort of think about there so I think it's worth going very slow with this because every time you sort of make a decision to sort of go down a certain path there's going to be other things that come up and you're going to need to think about the different sorts of boundaries that you need to take into account there. So, as i was just saying you know even if you put a bunch of time and thought into this (laughs) there might be issues that come up that you don't anticipate and one that i'm thinking of that you talk about in your book is this concept of new relationship energy or that really intense passion that you might feel when you're with a new partner and it becomes like this obsession of sorts and you might sort of disproportionately focus on that new partner over your existing partner so What other kinds of issues might come up that people should be thinking about? And, you know, how do you navigate things like new relationship energy?
1: It's so complex. I mean, when you're in a new relationship and you're sort of flirty and it's fun, I mean, one of the things you should know is that that energy can come home to the relationship that you have. And a lot of people describe that they're having better sex than they've ever, ever had, that there's more excitement, that the relationship at home does improve and it's not necessary to compartmentalize the outside relationships. So a lot of us are afraid that the outside partnerships are going to take away from the resources that we have at home. And I think it's helpful when you start to feel threatened or afraid or jealous to to really define what the feeling is. So I you should describe those four resources as time, attention, affection, and sex. So let's just say your partner has this new relationship energy with a new partner, and it's really starting to freak you out. And you don't know whether you should throw the veto power down because it's probably too late. because They're all sucked up into it. What's bothering you about it? Is it that they're spending all their time with this new person? And so you're not getting enough time. Is it their attention is totally on this new person? They're texting all the time, even when they're home. Is it that, you know, they're no longer affectionate with you? You you miss nights together, curled in bed. They're not spooning enough. Or is it, you know, that you're not having sex? Maybe it's not improving your sex life. Maybe they've withdrawn from you. Most likely it's one of those things more than the other. And so the more specific you are about it, The more you learn about yourself and your own needs and the more you can say to your partner, you know, I don't care if you're having sex with this other person, but you need to be home the other nights of the week and spending more time with us or with me or whoever. And that really helps us become more self-aware and also takes away this whole blanket fear of being jealous, I think
0: yeah i think that's fantastic advice and you know you're absolutely right with something like new relationship energy that it can have these spillover effects that are sometimes positive where it you know it increases passion in the primary relationship but it can also have spillover effects that can be negative if Your time and attention is is taken away, but yes, that is totally spot on about, you know, sort of identifying what is the core feeling and then communicating that clearly to your partner and figuring out a way to address it. So it's all about the clear and open communication in, in dealing with potential problem areas that might arise. Now, in your book, you also talk about how it's important for people to revisit their agreements periodically. In fact, you suggest that they might even put an expiration date on them so that they're compelled to revisit the issue at some time later. So how often do you recommend doing a relationship check-in? And, you know, if, if things aren't working, what do you do?
1: Well, I... I used to say you should redo it every five years. Now I think you should do it at least every two years, maybe every month. I don't know. I feel, <laughs> you know, you you get a new lo- driver's license, what, every two years? Like you renew your passport. Like why not renew your monogamy agreement? I'm not sure why we think that there's a one-time promise that's going to last the rest of your life. It's kind of like saying, I told you I loved you when I married you, and I'll let you know if I change my mind. I think our monogamy agreement changes over time, depending on where we are in our life. And I think it should be an ongoing conversation. I mean, I feel like I, I'm more comfortable if it's an ongoing conversation, because I change as a person. I've changed as a person, and I, I know my partners changed as a person, and our lives have changed dramatically at different times.
0: And it's it's so true. Some people change faster than others. Sometimes people in a relationship change at different rates. Sometimes there are big external factors, like a global pandemic, that can cause very immediate and drastic change, right? So it, it's hard to say, you know, what is the optimal time frame in which to you know revisit these rules. And for some people, once a month might be just way too much because they're not changing at a very fast rate and they're on a very good trajectory. And so maybe it's, you know, every year or every couple of years, but no matter what the frequency is, don't be afraid to put it on the calendar, right? So that you have that prompt to do the check-in. And when you've got something like in a calendar where it shows up on both ends in the relationship, then that's going to make it much less likely that you're going to slip and then avoid having the conversation. So it's a good idea to sort of have that external prompt or reminder regardless of whether things are going well or whether they're not going so well it's just good to revisit and have that check-in and sometimes you're just going to renew and say great everything is really good other times you're going to identify a problem area that you didn't know existed and then you're going to find a solution for it so do those relationship check-ins Now, we're running short on time, but I have one last question for you, Tammy. So you also talk in your book about your own, as you describe it, revolutionary marriage and how living apart together made you and your partner think carefully about your own relationship agreement. So up until this point, we've been talking about what you've learned through your clinical insights and research. But is there anything that you've personally learned through your own relationship journey that you think is important for people to know in navigating open monogamy?
1: Yeah, so my husband and I have lived apart together for the past like three years, I guess. And that has really tested our commitment to our relationship and also challenged our conversations around monogamy. And what I've really discovered about what has made it work is that we really are open to anything that the other person wants, as long as we talk about it. And it's an open conversation. (laughs) But what I've learned about myself in the past year is that I'm totally open to being in an open relationship, but I'm way too tired to navigate it. Like I'm way too busy to manage it. I, I like, I'm so jealous of other people's calendars where they have all these multiple partners and multiple dates and I barely have time for the husband I have, and I don't, never see my friends. And I'm so happy I got to meet with you today. Like, you know, trying to squeeze things in is a challenge. And so I'm really looking at what my priorities are with relationships and time and being open to potential and possibilities. Because I feel like if I don't open myself to these conversations, If I don't open myself to potential fun with our friends or with other people, whatever that's going to look like, then I'm going to get old really fast. (laughs) And I could see myself just sitting in front of Netflix, like assuming the position on the couch for the rest of my life. And that seems, that seems like very easy to slip into. So I don't want to do that. I'm scared of that.
0: (laughs) So you're gonna have an open relationship with Netflix. I, I think a lot of people have that relationship. But I think you bring up this really important point about, you know, time management. That certainly is a big issue in navigating any type of sexually open relationship. And and especially if you're in the world of polyamory where you're cultivating multiple intimate and Or sexual partnerships with several people at the same time, you've got a lot more people to check in with, right? So, if you think of everything that goes into maintaining just one relationship, well, think about maintaining multiple relationships concurrently. You know, that's not for everyone. And if you're somebody who is really busy, really pressed for time, it's something that might add a lot more stress to your life potentially. So, again, it's all about knowing yourself and what's right for you and what the right arrangement is. So, I think the most important conversation is the one that you have with yourself first and figure out what it is that you really want, what is feasible and practical, and then talking about all of that openly with your partner.
1: Yeah, and also recognizing, I think we both recognize that, look, we're married, but we're not dead. We're always going to be attracted to other people. And it's just a matter of what we do with those feelings and how we manage them together in our relationship.
0: Yep, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for this amazing conversation, Tammy. It was a pleasure to have you here. And thank you for being open and for the important work that you do. So can you please tell my listeners where they can go to learn more about you and your work and get a copy of your latest book?
1: Yes. And if your listeners want to contact me, I'm happy to give them I have a handout. It's like 40 questions to start your new monogamy, you can put that in your show notes, or they can contact me at Tammy at drtamynelson.com. And you can find out more about me at my website, drtammynelson.com drtamynelson.com. Or you can go to openmonogamy.com to find out about the book. You can buy the book anywhere that books are
0: sold well thank you for sharing that and also thank you to my listeners to keep up with new episodes of this podcast visit my website sex and psychology at sexandpsychology.com, or subscribe on your favorite platform where i hope you'll take a moment to rate and review the show you can also follow me on social media for daily sex research updates i'm on twitter at justin laymiller and instagram at justin j laymiller also be sure to check out my book tell me what you want and tammy's book open monogamy thanks again for listening until next time